Yeah. So we're actually, today's daf is Lamed Zayin in Betza. We're at four lines from the top of the Amud, where it says, We skip that. That that, the reason why you're not allowed to consecrate things on Shabbat and Yom Tov is because it is a type of business, because you're transferring the ownership from one party to the other. So that's the various kinds of uh, that. We don't separate Tumad Maser, Pshita, that should be obvious as well. It seemingly would come under uh, the, uh, uh, it's a type of Tikkun, you're perfecting the Tevil, because basically the Tevil previously, the produce was not capable to, be, you know, weren't allowed to eat it, and now you separate the Tumad Maser, and it's a type of a Tikkun that you're fixing it, so uh, that's why it's prohibited. It should be obvious. But Taner Rav Yosef, Lo Nitzchal Litnam LaKohen Bo Bayom, that he says that it, the chidush here is you might have thought that if you give the actual trumat to a kohen on the Yom Tov or the Shabbat, then it would be allowed. Because actually what you're doing is basically increasing the Simchat Yom Tov. And instead of focusing on the fact that you're fixing the Tevel, normally a person separates Truman Maser because he wants to eat his own portion of the food and he gives it later to the kohen. But here, if you're actually giving it to the kohen on the day itself, so it looks like you're just giving him a present. It's not as focused on the fixing of your produce. So you might think it's okay, so the Chidush is it's not okay. And that's only a Tevel situation that emerged, emerged yesterday. But if it emerged today, there you're allowed to separate in the case of Chala. Why? Because the, the, you're allowed to make bread on Yom Tov. And therefore, if you're going to knead the dough, you're going to create an obligation of Chala. And of course, you're allowed to separate the Chala. You're allowed to give it to the Kohen on the Yom Tov. Um, so that would be obvious. But any type of a Tevil that is related to produce, of course, the, the obligation would have existed prior to the Shabbat or Yom Tov. And the point is that even if you're going to give the items to the Kohen on Yom Tov and increase the Simchat Yom Tov, you're still not allowed to do it because of the Tikkun, because you are completing the Tevil. You're fixing it to allow yourself to eat it. Right, so it says, uh, so now the Gemara asks, It's a weird Mishnah because the Mishnah says there are certain things that are prohibited because of Shavut, which means rabbinic prohibition. And some are because are Mishum Rishut, are because they're only, op, uh, they're only optional. And some are Mishum Mitzvah, they are Mitzvot that are prohibited. Right, so, the, uh, so it's, it's a weird um, a uh, way of describing it, as the as Rashi explains, it's talking about the middle because so in other words, the things that are that are optional are actually prohibited, right? And the things that are mitzvot are actually prohibited. So why are you saying these are these are things that are uh, optional on Shabbat and Yom Tov? And these are things that are a mitzvah on Shabbat and Yom Tov, when really all you mean is that these things would have been optional any other day of the week, but they're prohibited on Shabbat and Yom Tov. These things would have been obligatory or a mitzvah on any other day of the week, and they're prohibited on, Yom, on Shabbat and Yom Tov. So why does it mention these things are reshut, these things are a mitzvah, as if to say that they're not shavut, they're not also prohibited rabbinically. It's a strange way to uh, formulate the prohibition, because it sounds as if those things are not prohibited. So it says, no, because... Um, it means it means which is hard to translate into English. But what it means to say is not only are things that simply violate the uh, rabbinic prohibition 
uh, are prohibited. Even things which are reshut, which means kind of like borderline mitzvah. They're not quite a mitzvah, but they're not quite a, uh, they're not, uh, they're not totally um, insignificant from the, like, for example, judging a court case or um, getting married uh, or uh, doing yibum. There's a mitzvah involved there. But it's not a, but it's a mitzvah that you could, uh, that is not a, a obligatory, meaning it's something that you choose to do or not to do under the circumstances, where even though there's a mitzvah involved, right? And then mitzvah is where there's not really a, uh, it's something which in and of itself is a mitzvah, right? So, v'lo mibaya shevut de reshut, even things which are absolutely a mitzvah are prohibited. Now Rashi spells it out. It says, All of the things in the Mishnah are prohibited rabbinically. The first thing on the list, like going swimming, okay, climbing a tree, riding a horse, there's no mitzvah at all in any of that. The middle ones have a ktsat mitzvah, Rashi says. It's a little bit of mitzvah, meaning that, uh, you know, it has an element of mitzvah. There are Mitzvah gmurahin. The last ones are a complete mitzvah. In other words, despite that, so really you could have just taken the extreme case and said even the things that are a mitzvah are asur midurabanan. Certainly things that are uh, not a mitzvah are going to be asur midurabanan just like they would be any other, uh, on, you know, uh, just like any other Shabbat, they would be prohibited on Yom Tov too. But it's telling you, uh, it, it spells out all the cases. It's called Lomi Baya. Lo, and it says, it'll be Yom Tov Amru. This was all said on Yom Tov and Kalvachomer Shabbat. Or we raise an objection. It says that you're allowed to lower fruit from the skylight on Yom Tov, but not Shabbat. So you see that not everything is, uh, you know, sometimes you have a Shavut, sometimes you have a rabbinic prohibition that applies on Shabbat and not on Yom Tov. So the Mishnah implies that anything that's prohibited on Shabbat is on Yom Tov and vice versa. It's all the same, but it's not true because you see there are differences. It's if you have a uh, an animal and it's young, we can't slaughter a mother animal and the baby on the same day. They both fell into a pit. So Rabbi Eliezer says, really, the only solution is you can't take them both out. Why? Because the only hit there to bring one of the animals out of the pit is that you're going to slaughter it. And if you slaughter one, you can't slaughter the other because it's otoviet beno, so you know halachically you're not allowed to slaughter both. You're only allowed to slaughter one. So therefore, you can only bring one and the other one, you have to take care of it in the pit so it doesn't die. Rabbi Yoshua, Meir Maleta, Rishon, Amnat, Shukhto, Beno, Shukhto, Because they Omarim, Malea, Shenev, Ratzaz, Deshochet, Ratzaz, Deshochet. And so Rabbi Yoshua says, no, there's a trick you can pull. How do you pull a trick? You take out the first one and say, I'm going to slaughter the mother. So you take the mother out and you say, you know what? I changed my mind. The, the son looks more tasty. Let's bring him out. Then you take the son out. And then whichever one you want to, want to slaughter, you can slaughter. So what, what's the connection here? So Rashi uh, says, in other words, the, our Mishnah that says that anything that the rabbis prohibited, they prohibited whether it's Shabbat or Yom Tov, even if you're going to lose money. And we see that that's Rabbi Eliezer because he says that even if you have to leave one of the animals down in the pit, you do the best you can to keep it alive. But if it dies, it dies. There's nothing you can do. Right? And Rabbi Yoshua, 
The one that says in our Mishnah, actually in the beginning of the Perek, that said that you're allowed to lower the fruit from the roof so it doesn't get ruined in the rain, that's Rabbi Yoshua, because Rabbi Yoshua says that in a case of Hefzed, we find a way around it on Yom Tov. We might not do it on Shabbat because it's strict, but we'll do it on Yom Tov. Rabbi Eliezer would say, no, on Shabbat and Yom Tov, both of them, you can't lower the fruits because you can't do anything even for saving money on, Shabbat, on Yom Tov, and certainly not on Shabbat. But the Gemara says it's not necessarily a good analogy. The case of the Otoviet Beno and the case of lowering the fruit, it's not such a great analogy because it could be that Rabbi Eliezer with the animals, where you have the two animals that fell in the pit, you pulled one out, you left one in. He's saying that the reason why you're allowed to do that, you're allowed to take, you, you, or why you're not allowed to, rather, why you can only take one out, is because at least you can take care of the other one in the pit and hopefully it will live. But here, if it starts pouring rain on my fruit and I don't take it off the roof, it's going to get ruined. So maybe you'll be lenient on Yom Tov. And you could say the other way. Maybe Rabbi Yoshua who's lenient about pulling the two animals out of the pit, that's because there's a trick you could say. Oh, the first one, I'm going to slaughter this one. And they say, no, I changed my mind. I want to do the other one. But you can't do that lowering fruits from the roof. That's not going to work for lowering fruits from the roof. There's no trick to be had. So it could be that Rabbi Eliezer would take the lenient position about lowering fruits from the roof. And it could be that Rabbi Yoshua could take the stringent position. They don't match up. So we still don't understand why our Mishnah in the beginning of the Perek said that you're allowed to do something on Yom Tov that you're not allowed to on Shabbat. And the Mishnah just that we read before said that Shabbat and Yom Tov is exactly the same. It can't fit with the machloket of Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua. So what's it going to fit with? So Gemara so El Amar Papa. Papa said, "Look, Lakasha. How Beit Shammai, how Beit Hillel. One is Beit Shammai and one is Beit Hillel. How so? Did not Beit Shammai? We made motzin lo atakatan lo atelulav lo We learned about this before. According to Beit Shammai, you're not allowed to do carrying on Yom Tov unless it's related to food. They don't buy the idea that once the lacha permits carrying, it's permitted for anything. You can't take out a lulav. You can't take out a sefer Torah. You can't take a child out. Nothing. Only food. Betilel matirin. And betilel is lenient. Now, how does that connect to our case? How, what, what are they thinking to connect to our case? So Rashi says that In other words, according to Beit Shammai, you wouldn't be allowed to lower the fruit from the roof on Yom Tov, just like you're not allowed to carry things outside on Yom Tov. They don't have any leniency there. So once we lose that leniency, so then Shabbat and Yom Tov become equal. But, but Beit Hillel will say, it's true that you can't do those things, you can't lower the fruit from the roof on Shabbat, but you could on Yom Tov, because we're lenient even with regard to things that are uh, preventing loss of money on Yom Tov. But the Gemara says, is that really true? So it says uh, uh, that... Um, because you could say that Beit Shammai, yes, it's true that they're stringent about carrying, but maybe they're not stringent about moving fruits from the roof to the, to the inside the house. That's not carrying in the Rashut Arabim. Maybe they'll be lenient. So the Gemara answers, no. Isn't tiltul, moving things around, isn't that really connected to hotza'a, to carrying. In other words, Rashi says, Once you start moving things around, you start to move them out of the house. And since the rabbis made, according to Beit Shammai, 
didn't allow any kind of carrying in the Rishut HaRabim except for food on Yom Tov. So they made a gzera that you shouldn't be handling stuff. And the only reason why they didn't allow you to move things around inside your house like food and other kelim is because you wouldn't be able to enjoy your... You couldn't live if you couldn't touch anything. But really they want you to touch as little as possible so you don't carry anything. It's... Uh, there are actually some Rishonim that hold that one of the reasons or the, or the main reason of, for Muktzeh is, is for Hotzah that you don't carry. There, there are some Rishonim that hold that that's the reason. Um, and they, and I, if I'm not mistaken, they base it on this Gemara or they use this Gemara as a proof for that. What I'm wondering is, according to Beit Shammai, I'm not going to give an answer to it because I don't know an answer. I'm just wondering. I'm sure, I'm sure somebody must talk about it that I just haven't seen. But Beit Shammai holds that you're not allowed to carry a Lulav out on, on Yom Tov so why does he allow, so why is it any different than Shabbat, according to Beit Shammai? You can't carry, uh, you can't uh, shake a lulav on Shabbat because you might carry it in Rishut HaRabim. So you shouldn't be able to carry a lulav, to shake a lulav on Yom Tov either. Of course, it would lead to an absurdity that you could never have a, uh, a, 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 a lulav on, on Sukkot, but it's, it's a little bit strange. Anyway, the, so the Gemara's conclusion is that, that the version of the Mishnah that says that there's no difference at all between Shabbat and Yom Tov is going to be Beit Shammai because they're strict on Yom Tov and don't allow you to lower the fruits from the roof to the, to the house. The one that says there's going to be a little bit of a difference is Beit Tilel. Now, the Mishnah says, So, interestingly, if you look in the Rambam, when he talks about uh, carrying, the permission to carry on Yom Tov, he talks about these halachot in the same parak because once you, you're allowed to carry stuff, see, on Shabbat, you can't carry stuff. So the issue of the tchum of certain objects is not that significant because you can't carry objects anyway outside of the, you know, out of a walled area or an enclosed area. Definitely not outside the tchum. So you're never going to have that issue. But on, on Yom Tov, where you're already allowed to move things around, so now it becomes an issue of what is the tchum of the object? Because an object that I own at the beginning of Shabbat acquires my tchum. Whatever my limit on walking is, its limit on walking is. And that's going to be for Yom Tov as well. So the owners determine the animal and the vessels, their range of motion that they're allowed. If a person gives his animal over to his son or to a shepherd to watch it over the holiday or Shabbat, the animal, since it was in my position at the beginning of the, of the holiday or the Shabbat, it gets my tachum. So even though, let's say I made a tachum Shabbat to the east and my, uh, my shepherd... Uh, made it, uh, doesn't have a Tchum Shabbat to the east. So I took away his ability to go to the west with my animal because my animal isn't, is only allowed to go in the Tchum that I established for myself. So if I change the parameters of my Tchum, it's going to affect the animal that belongs to me even if somebody else is watching it. If you have brothers that they have different things in the house that belong to the individual brothers, so then when right in one house, so this is an interesting thing. If you have multiple brothers and each one has their own stuff, so the brothers, one brother made a tachum to the west and one made one to the east and one went to the north, they're going different things. So their objects will go by their tachum, but something that they all share is only allowed to go within the range that they're all allowed to go. In other words, if I took away certain amount of distance to the east and the brother took away a certain amount of distance to the west and another brother took away a certain amount of distance to the south and another brother took away a certain amount of distance to the north. So that, uh, assuming we didn't go to the extremes in every case where you can't move the object at all, but like uh, within the range that we can all move, that's what the kelim that we all share are going to be able to, to move. 
If a person borrows an item from someone else on Erev Yom Tov, since I borrowed it on Erev Yom Tov, it acquires my Techum rules. However, if I borrow it from somebody on Yom Tov, I go and ask for a measuring cup on Yom Tov. For some, well, not a measuring cup. That would be a bad example. I'm going to get a bowl from, uh, from, a, uh, from my neighbor on, uh, on the Yom Tov. So now it can only go as far as the neighbor can go because I got it on the Yom Tov. Even if the lady goes and borrows spices or water or salt to make her dough, this dough that is created will now be restricted by the tchum of the two of them. Because since the lady who's baking has a tchum, let's say she made an eruve tchumin that was different than whatever the tchum of the uh, salt and uh, and spice providing neighbor was. So now only within, like you have to make a Venn diagram and, and determine like what the area is that they overlap. In other words, whatever they overlap, that's when the, where this bread is going to be able to go because it's part of it is from the one lady's uh, stuff and part of it is from the other lady's stuff and you made one thing out of it, right? So it's going to be combined. But Rabbi Yudah says water doesn't count. Water doesn't have a tchum because once you mix it into the dough, you can't see it anymore. So, and you can't even taste it. I mean, it doesn't have any presence that's manifest in the dough. And the Gemara is going to talk more about that ahead of us. But the Gemara says, Matnitin de la Krabidosa. Our Mishnah doesn't follow Rabbi Dosa. Why not? Some say it was Abba Shaul, not Rabbi Dosa. If a person took an animal from his friend, that if I purchase, in other words, I purchase an animal from you, but I didn't pick it up until Yom Tov, but I purchased it before, so it acquired my techum from before. It doesn't matter that I didn't pick it up until the Yom Tov. But then it says that if I hand over my animal to a shepherd to watch it, even if I only handed it over to him on Yom Tov or Shabbat, it becomes his techum and not mine. That contradicts what our Mishnah said, because our Mishnah said that if I give my animal over to a shepherd or to my son, it has my techum, not the techum of the shepherd. So which one is it? Right? We can actually reconcile, because Rabbi, it will say, It depends how many ro'im there are. In other words, if, there's a, if it's a one sheriff town, you know, there's only one shepherd in the entire town, so everyone knows you bring your animal to the shepherd, so it was understood from the, the beginning that... Uh, this shepherd's tchum is going to be the one. It's like the dog walker of the neighborhood. You know, there's one dog walker. So he's going to take care of everyone's sheep. So if he's taking care of everyone's sheep, you know that it's going to go to him. So, But if there are two and you don't know which one, so it defaults back to the owner. Since And, and the Gemara says, and you could see that it's talking about two, because you see from our Mishnah that it mentioned two possibilities, either to his son or to a shepherd. Meaning since there's more than one option, so the default is the owner. If there's only one option and everybody gives to the shepherd, so then the default is the shepherd. But if everyone gives away, but it's not clear to whom you're going to give, so then it's still yours unless you make that determination before Shabbat. And then obviously in a normal case, it's irrelevant because everyone's tchum is the same. Nobody's making a ruvet tchumin to go all different places. But in a case where you had that conflict, it would be an issue. Now the Gemara goes on. Um... Didn't Rabbi Yochanan say the halacha follows anonymous mishnayot? There's a famous, the Gemara loves to run through this 
all the time. Every time Rabbi Yochanan says the halacha is like somebody, he says, but he holds it, it's like a Stam Mishnah. And doesn't it say in our Mishnah that whatever animals or items you have, they go like the legs of the owners. So how could you say like Rabbi Dosa that it goes by the legs of the shepherd? We just explained. You just you, know, you could see that these two conversations happened in parallel to one another, and the Gemara basically wove them together because obviously anybody was reading two seconds ago saw the answer to this coming already, right? But the point was that probably there was a parallel discussion, and one clarified the other. So um, the point is that once we introduce the distinction that when there's only one roe in town. So then you're, then obviously it goes to him. If there's more than one, then it's going to default to the owners until the owner makes a determination about who's going to take care of it. Let's say you have two guys who borrowed, these guys are really in a bad shape. They have to borrow the same, not only are they borrowing a shirt, they borrow the same shirt, right? So they borrowed the same shirt. And what happened? But at least they're going to do a mitzvah. They got, one guy wants to go in the morning to the Beit Midrash. Okay, that guy's not doing such a mitzvah. Right? One guy wants to go in the morning to the Beit Midrash. One guy wants to go in the evening to the Beit Mishteh. It's good it's not the other way around. I guess that would be worse if the guy was going in the morning to the bar. and the. Uh, but in any case, so the one guy made an Erovet Chumin to go to the north because that was where the Beit Midrash was. The other guy made a one to go to the south. That's where the bar was. In other words, the point, the problem is that they contradicted each other. They're sharing the item. And one guy made a, uh, an Erov that extends his ability to walk north but constricts his ability to walk south. And the other guy made a, an Eruv that extends his ability to walk south but constricts his ability to walk north. So you can now only move with that shirt within the shared overlapping area. And Worst case scenario is that the guy going to the north went the fullest distance to the north that you can go, thereby leaving nothing to the south. And the guy who left it to the south went the fullest distance, leaving nothing to the north, in which case that whatever they share cannot move at all. Because it's stuck in place and it can't move at all from that point because it has, it's, it, it, either direction it's going to be violating one of the Tchumim. Now, Itmar, we said as follows. Let's say you have two people that they have either a barrel of wine or an animal that they own, they share, they're partners, okay? And again, we have, we're talking about the same situation where they have contradictory tchumin. One has a tchum to the north, one has a tchum to the south, one has to the west, one has to the east. So they, so they overlap with each other. So it says, the chavit muteret, according to Rav, that the barrel is also going to be prohibited. Now the issue here is that when they split it up, it's different than the shirt. Because you don't share the shirt and say, here, take half the shirt and I'll take half the shirt. No, you use the shirt, it's one item. But over here, they're going to slaughter the animal and divide up the meat. I get the right leg, you get the left leg. I get this, you get that. So then my parts, why can't I just take them in my tchum? And your parts, you take them in your tchum. Or when you have a big barrel of wine, I'm going to take jugs of wine out of it for my use, you take for your use. Why should your tchum affect mine? I took my part, you took your part. 
what the, but the problem is, so Shmuel is the most consistent because Shmuel just comes out and says in both cases Asur. Because since the Tehum, since we had a partnership, and as we just said before, if two partners own one item, and they have contradictory Tehumin, so now the item is caught in the middle of the crossfire, fine, right? So that would apply both to the animal as well as to the barrel of wine. Right, unless they clarify, unless they split it up before the Yom Tov, in which case that wouldn't be an issue. But if they're going to split it up or slaughter the animal on Yom Tov, and they established contradictory, a contradictory tchumin, they're going to have a problem. So the question is like this: My Rav, what's Rav's reasoning? In other words, according to Shmuel, it's very simple. There's no brera, which means we don't retroactively say if we have a big barrel of wine, and we split it up, and you take half and I take half, we don't say whatever half you took was destined from the beginning of time to be yours, and whatever I got was destined to be mine, so therefore whatever my techum was yesterday that I established at the beginning of Yom Tov, that included this wine, and whatever your techum was that you established at the beginning of the Yom Tov, that was destined to be Right, this wine that you received goes by that tachum. Shmuel says, we don't do that yesh brera. We don't do uh, retroactive. Okay? So if we don't do it, so then the since mixed together is wine that goes to, that goes my tachum and wine that goes your tachum, it's contradictory. So it doesn't matter that we split it up. You can't save it. Right? They're, it's going to be subject to both tachumim. But according to Rav, it's contradictory. Because he's saying that the animal, you can't clarify retroactively. But he says, chavit muteret, the wine you could. Meaning that if I have a tchum to the west and you have one to the east and we have a barrel of wine and on Yom Tov we split it up between the two of us so my part will go with my tchum and yours will go with yours. But if we slaughter an animal like that it won't work. If we slaughter an animal like that my parts and your parts are restricted to the shared tchum between us and I can't take it outside of your tchum and you can't take yours out of mine. So how does that work? So it says because really he holds there is retroactive clarification but the problem is that yes it's true that technically if I take half the animal and you take half the animal retroactively whatever my tchum is affixes itself to my part and whatever your tchum is affixes itself to your part but the problem is if we're saying that it's retroactive that means that so to speak in the eyes of God starting from the beginning of Yom Tov, since I was destined to get this part of the animal, from the beginning of Yom Tov it had my tchum. And since you were destined to get that part of the animal, from the beginning of Yom Tov it has had a different tchum. And in the meantime, since nightfall of the previous night, right, since the era of Yom Tov, these, this animal was one entity. So its parts were feeding each other and contributing to each other and mixing with each other. Which means that the that parts that really have my tuchum mixed in with parts that have your tuchum, and parts that have your tuchum mixed in with things that have my tuchum, because it was determined before Yom Tov, theoretically, retroactively. So all along, since whatever time Yom Tov started until now, they've been mixing with each other. That's the problem. So the Gemara says, "Amrei Rav 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 said to Rav, you know, they didn't make such an extreme measure regarding muktzeh. Why did they make such an extreme measure regarding tchumit? Meaning to say, the way that Rashi explains it, since each partner for sure has in mind not to use, not to benefit from or use the part that's going to go to the other partner, so that means for him it was muktzeh. It was out of sight, out of mind. It was not for Yom Tov use. And yet, they were combined in one animal. So they've been feeding off of each other all along. 
So what about the Muktzeh issue? Shouldn't we say, forget about the issue of Tchum. Let's say even when you don't have Tchum. If you have two partners that have an animal and they're planning on slaughtering it on the day of Yom Tov, the half that I get is going to be my half. The half that you get is going to be your half. So if we say that that's retroactively determined, so then my, your part should be muktzeh for me and my part should be muktzeh for you and yet they mix together. And we don't see that anybody has a problem with the mixing together. And it says, Shatik Rav, Rav did not have an answer to that. He thought that was a good question that they had. What's the bottom line? Rabbi Hoshaya Omer, Amar, Yesh Rabbi Hoshaya says, there is retroactive clarification. Rabbi Yochanan Amarin And Rabbi Yochanan says, no, it doesn't work. And therefore, since it's not retroactively clarified, the entire wine uh, bot, uh, barrel is going to be subject to both tchumin. Now, the question is, uh, does Rabbi Hoshea really hold that you can retroactively clarify things? Vatan, we learned in the Mishnah, and we've seen this Mishnah also a million times, because it's always brought in every discussion of Brira, it always comes out. The rule is that if a person dies in a room and there are multiple exits, through multiple rooms, those adjacent rooms, if the doors were open and they were, and they didn't decide, de- designate one of them in advance to take the dead body out, since they're all possible, uh, destinations for the dead body to leave, they all, all the things in all of those passageways become to me automatically. However, if, um, it says, uh, if only one was open, so who so then it will be Tamei and everything else will be Torah. In other words, you designated one that is going to be used for bringing the body out. So that one is the only one. The other ones are not going to be included. Okay? However, What if you just had in mind to take him through a certain way? Or a 4x4 tefach window. That will save everybody. So Beit Shammai says that's only true if you, if you designated it before the person died. Betilel omrim, af mishyamutamit. Betilel says, no, even if the person already died, you can now say, we're going to use that doorway, and that will make everything else pure. As if you had said it from the beginning. That's called brayrat, retroactively. Okay? Not only when it's physically open, but even if you say afterwards, oh, we're going to use that one, it's now as if you had already, always said that. But that's not true. Betmarolah, in other words, Rabbi Hoshaya specifically came along to clarify that Beit Hillel is not saying Brera. They're not saying that because now I say we're going to use that door to take out the dead body, therefore everything that's in all the other passageways is Tahor now. No, it means anything that comes after where after I say that will be Tahor. Not retroactively that by saying it now, I fix the situation of the past. That doesn't work. So you see Rabbi Hoshaya holds there's no retroactive fixing of stuff. So why would he say here that there is? So the Gemara says, okay, fine, you got me. So what are we going to say? Epoch, we're going to have to split it around, switch it around. Rabbi Hoshaya Omer en Brera, Rabbi Yochanan Omer Yesh Brera. We'll say Rabbi Hoshaya is the one that says there's no retroactive and Rabbi Yochanan says there is retroactive. Okay, but wait a second. But Rabbi Yochanan doesn't hold of it either. That according to Rabbi Yochanan, if you have an estate that falls to two brothers and they split, or multiple brothers and they split it up, they're considered um, purchasers of that of, of that uh, land, and so therefore at the yovel they have to repool together all the land as if. They bought it from each other and then redistribute it again. It doesn't, in other words, it, it's not a, uh, it's not, it, it's as, we don't say retroactively, whatever I got 
in the Yerusha. Whatever, we, we, have a, we, we received an estate, 10 brothers. Each brother gets one-tenth, or let's say the Bukhor gets more, whatever. But the point is that each one gets their portion. We don't say that this was the portion you were intended to get Minashamayim, and the other portions have no connection to you at all. No, we say there was one estate that belonged to everyone. I bartered in exchange for my, my piece. I gave you rights to the rest of the piece. And you're, in exchange for your piece, you bartered, you gave everyone else the rights to the other pieces and so on. In other words, it was a transaction. So it's not retroactive. It's not a retroactive thing that, oh, whatever I received from the Yerusha, I received it directly and it's as if that was just what was meant to be. No, it fell to all of us. We divided it up and that was a transaction. That wasn't a retroactive determinant of what really happened from the beginning that when the parent died, this really became mine. No, there was a there was a, 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 an estate and we had to divide it up and trade. Okay, so that's what he says. So maybe you'll say that's only because Yerusha and, and Yovel and everything is a Deoraita. But we're talking here about Dirabanan, about Tchumin, Eruvet Tchumin and things like that. But that's not true. Because you might say, maybe Rabbi Yochanan doesn't have a Brera in Deoraita. But when it comes to rabbinic things, he does have it. How? But that's not true either. In other words, you see that he, he was concerned about the Yovel, but maybe, uh, maybe rabbinic things he wouldn't be. Vachitema, alright, umi, mi itle, vahatane, ayo, tan, ayo taught, rebiuda, omer, en adam matneal shneid varim kechad, ella imbachacham mizrach, eruvol mizrach, ulemarav, eruvol marav, vilu lakan ulakan lo. Because we have a, uh, uh, the, the, the rule is that if you want to make an eruvet chumin, Let's say you're supposed to do it only for a dvar mitzvah. So you know that a chacham is coming uh, to the city and, um, and you don't know where he's coming. So you want to make a condition. You put two there. You say, I'm going to put one on this side and one on that side. I don't know if he's coming to the west or he's coming to the east. And that way I say, if he comes to the west, that's my eruv. I want to go to the west. If he comes to the east, that's my eruv. I want to go to the east. Right? You can make that condition. So it says, but you can't make it lekan ulekan. You can't make it for both directions. What does he say? Meaning you can't say to yourself, I'm going to choose tomorrow. So Rashi explains. He says, You put two eruvin. He'll say, if the Chacham shows up in the East, that's the one I wanted. In other words, if two Chachamim come, one to the East and one to the West, I'll say, you know what, I'm going to decide in the morning. If I'm in the mood for the kind of drasha that Rabbi Abe does, I'll go to that one. And that'll be my error. I like the one that the Rabbi Bia, I'll go to that one. Right? It says, you can't do that. So we ask, Why can't you do both directions and just decide afterwards? Because you're saying that you're not allowed to make a retroactive thing. You're not allowed to say, well, now that I decided I want to go to Rabbi B in the morning, that was really my Eruv all along. Because the, really the Eruv has to take effect on Erev Shabbat or Erev Yom Tov. So it would have to retroactively take effect. It won't work. So how could it work east and west? That you put one to the east and one to the west and say, whichever one the Chacham comes to, that's going to be my real Eruv. It's the same thing. What's the difference? So it says, no. That, uh, 
we're not, that's the real difference. It's really the only way you can explain it. In other words, that it's saying, you didn't know where the Chacham came. So you put an Eruv to the west and to the east. You didn't know where he came, but he showed up before Shabbat started. So you said, whichever one he showed up to, I don't know right now, I'll find that when I go to Shul on Shabbat morning, they're going to mention where he came. Then I'm going to know which Eruv is good. But it's not that you made the Eruv good retroactively on Shabbat. It really was good from the beginning. You just didn't know which was which because you didn't know whether he had showed up to the west or the east, but he had showed up before Shabbat. As opposed to the case where you reserve the right to decide on Shabbat which one you're going to go to. That's, that's real brera. That's real retroactive. Here it's not retroactive. It's just that you didn't find out until later. But actually at the moment that the Eruv took effect, the Chacham was either west or east. And so therefore it took effect immediately. So if that's the case, So you see that Rabbi Yochanan does not hold of Brewa in any case. Not in Deoraita, not in Derabanan. So, So we have to go back to our original answer. There was Rabbi Hoshaya. If that's the case, So basically, what does the Gemara say? We have to go back to our original explanation that it was Rabbi Hoshaya, but not say, but then we have to use the answer that we tried to use with Rabbi Yochanan, which is, yes, it's true that Rabbi Hoshaya said that about Tumat Met. He said that there's no Brera. But when it comes to Eruvei Tchumin, he'll say that there is Brera and that retroactively, uh, we can rely on the determination afterwards. And in fact, Mor Zutra says, the Halakha Fathers Rabbi Oshaya, meaning to say, like we said before, that um, if there is Brera, that means that if you have two, uh, two uh, partners that they own together, a wine barrel, and they divide it up on Yom Tov, we could say that retroactively, whichever I got goes with my Tukhum, whichever you got goes with your Tukhum. Rav said that that extends also to the, doesn't extend to the animal because the parts of the animal are intermixed with each other. But we saw that Rav Asi and Rav Kahana didn't agree with that. They questioned that. But the bottom line is that it's saying, Yesh Brera in Dirabanans, according to Rabbi Hoshaya. Um, according to Rabbi Yochanan, there's no Brera even in Dirabanans. Okay, so Bezar Hashem, we will continue from here next time.